Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Psychology of Music podcast, hosted by the York Music Psychology Group and dedicated to exploring the fascinating fields of music psychology, music cognition, systematic and empirical musicology. My name is Mimi O'Neill, and I am thrilled to welcome you, or to welcome you back. The goal is to share our work with each other in the field, and also to make these exciting topics more accessible to non-specialist audiences. So whether you're a researcher, a student, a musician, a music lover, or just curious about the way that we interact with music, you're in the right place. Join us as we delve into a wide range of topics, from the emotional impact of music to the neuroscience of musical perception, all in a way that is easy to understand and hopefully engaging. We'll feature interviews with experts in the field who share their latest research findings and provide practical insights into how the new knowledge created can be applied. Our final guest of the first series of the Psychology of Music podcast is Mats Kusner, a lecturer in the Department of Musicology and Media Studies at the Humboldt University in Berlin and a visiting research fellow in the Department of Psychology at Goldsmiths University London. His research focuses on multimodal perception and mental imagery of music, emotional responses to music, and performance science. His ongoing research efforts continue to shed light on the intricate relationship between music and the embodied mind. Hello and welcome to the Psychology of Music podcast and thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to me. If I may, I would like to start by asking you how you identify or how you situate your work in terms of music psychology, psychology of music, music cognition, empirical musicology, etc. Yeah, so I think I would identify as a music psychologist slash systematic musicologist. So I think I sit firmly between the two disciplines, between um, psychology or cognitive science and musicology. Um, I'm affiliated with the musicology department at the moment, um, and uh, my, my PhD is in, in musicology, but my background is sort of in psychology, experimental psychology, and this is also what the methods that I apply. So it's really a mixture of, of these both uh, disciplines. Great, thank you. So the work that you're currently undertaking explores visual mental imagery and its influence on the listening experience. Can you give us an overview of this work and and also maybe explain how it is different from auditory mental imagery, um, which is perhaps a a more common topic for consideration in music cognition research? Yeah, so you mentioned auditory mental imagery um, or musical uh, imagery. This is what most people know as, as earworms. So some songs that get stuck in your head. Um, And this is a phenomenon that occurs anytime during the day uh, when there's no music around. So you just have a a song or um, um, uh, an excerpt popping up in your head. Uh, And many people know this experience because it happens uh, often throughout the whole week, basically. Um, And visual imagery, on the other hand, um, is also something that many people experience. If I ask you to imagine the the Eiffel Tower or the Statue of Liberty, most people can have an image in front of their their mind's eye, as we say, uh, and they can visualize that. And um, of course, this is in the visual domain and experience in the visual domain, but it's also something that people have while they listen to music. So we listen to our favorite song or any song that, that we hear 
um, somewhere and some suddenly we have some images popping up in our minds um, and this can range from from natural scenes people dancing some abstract shapes and uh, and colors maybe or you see people performing you think of the instrument you think of the time when this has been performed and this seems to be a very um, um, ubiquitous experience so it seems to be quite common um, that listeners have this experience or have this um, subjective experience while they while they listen to music, and I'm interested. So we are really at the beginning of of this strand of research. Um, why is it that people have that? What what's the function of that? Um, what's the relation to emotional experiences? And how how does it influence or interact um, with other um, with other processes, with physiological processes while we listen to music? Uh, and this is what I'm I'm trying to to investigate at the moment. And we have now some some years yet, some years of, of great earworm research, but we still we still need some some more research on this um, other domain on visual imagery uh, induced um, 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 experiences of music listening. So it seems that this experience will influence um, how listeners respond to music, either their preference or, as you said, their emotional response, um, and perhaps even their memory um, for particularly evocative stimuli. To what extent is this a universal experience or is the frequency and perhaps the intensity more subjective? Yeah, I think it's a highly a subjective, highly personal experience because it depends uh, on our previous experience, uh, on our you know, personal events that we experienced in the past. It also can depend on personality traits um, or um, special special traits, I would call them, um, like people who cannot visualize anything. Yeah? Um, or, or on the other hand, people who have a very strong uh, ability to very, a very vivid visual imagery. Um, um, so these kind of personal traits, they influence, of course, uh, how you experience music. And so we are far away from um, um, drawing any, being able to draw any conclusion about any universals. There have been some studies looking into comparisons between cultures. For example, there was one study comparing listeners in the States and in China. Uh, and they were not asking specifically about visual imagery, but they called it imaginings, something that you associate possibly something visual. And they found that sort of the cultural background has a strong impact, a strong influence on the imaginings that, that you um, that you conjure up or that you that you associate. So culture seems to play a, a role here, um, but perhaps there are also some universal features that we just, we don't know yet. <laughs> How exciting. Um, further research in this area then, please. So in a previous episode of this podcast, I spoke to Caroline Kerwin about her work on synesthesia, and it very much feels like the, that conversation is relevant here as well. What are the sort of multimodal mechanisms at play here, and, and are these experiences perhaps related? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you, you might want to see synesthesia um, at one end of the, of the spectrum, where you have very strong associations between, let's say, color and, and music. Maybe that's what, she, uh, what Caroline also talked about. So you hear a specific song or you hear a specific chord or just a sing, single tone, and you associate a specific color with it. Um, and if you have that and you have this experience reliably, um, so it doesn't change, you always have to see the color, the color red with an A minor chord, for example, then this is a typical example of a synesthetic experience. But of course, you can also experience red, uh, the color red when you hear A minor and you don't, you're not, you're not synesthete. And that's an, an example of uh, visual mental imagery uh, induced or visual mental imagery during music listening. 
And maybe today you, you see the color red and in, in, in three weeks or in, in a year's time, you see something else. Um, and this is then where it deviates from synesthesia because the synesthetes will always see the same or they will always experience um, the same association to another um, modality, um, to another sense. Uh, and people who don't have synesthesia, um, they, they might conjure up different things or different uh, different associations. So that's maybe one way to look at it. But in, in the end, we're thinking of, there's some research that suggests it's really much a continuum. So some people have these stable associations and others um, have less stable um, connotation or associations, but they still can develop these, um, these associations between, for example, color and, uh, and sound. As well as chatting to me for the podcast, you have already presented as part of the Music Cognition Matters speaker series. Can you give us a brief overview of what you covered in your presentation? Yes, so I tried to cover really a, a broad range of topics that relate to um, music-induced visual imagery, starting with the function. So why do people um, um, use um, visual imagery during music listening or maybe also to prepare for musical performances? Um, then what's the content of these visual images? What, what I said earlier might be a natural landscape or some abstract shapes. And what's the consistency? And this also relates again back to the question of synesthesia. So um, how consistent am I as a person when I listen to a specific song today and in two weeks, do I have the same image? And also how consistent are, uh, are we across different people um, within the culture and possibly also across cultures. So what is it about the musical features that give rise to, to specific images? Um, that's another aspect. Then of course, the relation uh, to emotion, um, which is actually the part of the research that, that um, started my interest in the topic, because um, you might be aware that uh, there's a, um, um, a framework um, that proposes that music is induced by various mechanisms, and one of these mechanisms is visual imagery. So the idea is that we listen to music, we have these images uh, in our mind's eye, and these images uh, lead to the emotional experience. And this is something that can, of course, be then tested. And there's some evidence uh, in favor, but there's also some evidence that says um, it's maybe more an interaction. So we, we listen to music, we have the emotion, and then we get the images, and sort of they all interact and influence each other. Um, another aspect that I covered um, in my talk was um, the neurophysiological correlates. So can we find some, some signatures or some, some correlations in, uh, in brain structures specifically to uh, music-induced visual imagery? Of course, there's plenty of research in cognitive science or in cognitive neuroscience um, regarding visual imagery alone in isolation without, uh, without music. Uh, but there's also some, we now have some preliminary data to show um, where um, in the brain music-induced visual imagery um, shows up and what is the difference between dynamic imagery, so, so imagery that involves movement, um, and more static imagery. This is sort of the focus that we looked at. And, and the last thing that I also covered was, um, again, synesthesia. So um, looking at synesthetes experience of music-induced visual imagery. Um, sort of um, not taking, not um, considering their specific synesthesia, so, but just looking whether synesthetes in general um, are, have a specific way of, of um, 
um, conjuring up images while they listen to music. So I tried to cover really a, a broad range. And again, as we we're already at the start of, of this um, uh, research plant, and we need to know much more um, to get a clearer picture. Um, Thank you. Yes. As mentioned, that was the last of our summer series of Music Cognition Matters talks, but we will be back in September with talks from people like Tom Collins, Caroline Waddington-Jones, Scott Bannister, Hauke Egerman, Dana Swarbrick, Naomi Norton, Sarah Price and many more. So make sure you keep an eye on our website and on the YMPG social media accounts for information about when those start again. So this research is but one of the many projects that you have been working on recently. Is there anything else exciting that you're currently working on that we should look out for? Yes, so uh, another project I'm working on that's quite different is uh, on music and climate crisis. Um, I've been inspired by my colleague's paper, Helen Pryor, who published something uh, in Music and Science last year. Um, the question is, how can music help us address the climate crisis? And I'm now teaching a master seminar where we look into um, what musicologists or um, um, people studying music can do in their future work um, to, uh, to address the climate crisis, but also how music is maybe able to convey um, more than other media um, the, um, the gravity or the, the seriousness of the problem that's really hard to grasp. Um, it's on the media all the day. We hear it every day, every, day, every week. But sort of the the, the scale of it uh, is is hard to hard to fathom uh, in, in some way. But maybe music, um, um, specific specific compositions. Um, I'm thinking of John Luther Adams' "Become Ocean." Um, it's already ten years old now, uh, where really the listening experience is uh, very immersive, and you think you become part of the ocean, and, um, and it makes you think. It makes you reflect on uh, on on um, yeah, on the fragility of, of the planet Earth. And um, so the idea is whether we can, with music or through music, change attitudes um, and change behavior um, towards a more sustainable, uh, environmentally friendly um, um, behavior. And that's something, yeah, I, I want to look into um, more in the future. Um, and that's why I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm exploring it with some master students at the moment. Oh, interesting. Gosh, I hope it works. I hope it works. Um, so my final question that I ask all guests is what are the most interesting questions that have not yet been explored in music psychology or music cognition? Um, what are the topics that interest you and that we could still learn more about? Yeah, and I think that relates exactly what, to what I just uh, said, it's the music and the climate crisis. Um, there's this field uh, in musicology, it's called eco-musicology. That's a field that emerged about 20 years ago. Um, and um, one volume that I would recommend um, to the listener is um, the, it's called Current Directions in Ecomusicology. It was published in 2016. And it shows in uh, yeah, very exciting and uh, new ways how musicology um, can contribute um, to this issue and what musicologists can do. And I mean, it's a very broad um, um, scope from historical musicologists over critical theory and also some some ecological um, um, ecological environmentalism. Um, so it's really yeah a broad overview of this topic and tries to show what what music has to say in that. And of course, music psychology should have a say in that as well. Um, and it's not really it's it's not really represented well uh, enough, I think. So that's something 
um, I think we as music psychologists could look into uh, in the future because this will become more and more relevant, uh, um, I fear. <laughs> yes, I fear too. I think you're right. Um, listen, Mats, thank you very much for your time today and for sharing your wisdom and your research with me. Um, and we very much look forward to, to hearing more about that as it develops. Before we finish, there is just time to tell you about the GAPS 2 Conference Global Art and Psychology Seminar on the Creativity in Music and the Arts, hosted by the Universities of York, Graz, La Plata and Melbourne on the 14th to the 16th of September this year. This conference aims to offer students and early career researchers all around the globe an innovative platform through which ideas, experiences, insights and knowledge about the relationship between music, art and creativity can be shared in inclusive and rigorous ways. GAPS2 is an event supported by ESCOM, the European Society for the Cognitive Sciences of Music. It offers an opportunity to explore areas that go beyond music, such as theatre, cinema, dance, painting and sculpture, from a psychological and interdisciplinary perspective. If you're interested in finding out more about this global hybrid event, then you can follow the link in the show notes. marks the end of this series of the podcast and the Music Cognition Matters speaker series. We welcome your feedback on both as they will be restarting again in September. Thanks for listening and I hope to welcome you back for our next episode.